This episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast is sponsored in part by Law Enforcement Labor Services in Minnesota. Law Enforcement Labor Services, also known as LELS, is Minnesota's largest public safety labor union with over 7,000 Minnesota public safety members serving in all areas of public safety. Law enforcement, 911 dispatch centers, corrections, public safety administrative support personnel, and firefighters. Established in 1977, LELS serves over 260 different public safety agencies and over 450 locals across the state of Minnesota. With their administration, general counsel, three staff attorneys, and 14 business agents, LELS provides contract negotiations for better wages and benefits, grievance processing and representation, discipline representation, mediation and arbitration, assistance with representation for post-board hearings, and in-line-of-duty death benefits for survivor families. Find out more about Law Enforcement Labor Services at LELS.org. LELS.org. Episodes of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast may contain strong language and violent content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Sheriff Scott Rose from Minnesota, and I'm your host for today's new episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. He's walking eastbound, walking eastbound. In each episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast, we'll share the details and the stories of how these men and women heroically lost their lives in the line of duty. Our mission is to help ensure their service and sacrifice is never forgotten. Thanks for spending some time with me today to remember and honor these fallen heroes. One of the biggest concerns that year was Y2K. When the ball drops in New York's Times Square this New Year's Eve, a record number of Americans will be hard at work. More than 800 companies have called in extra employees, more than 3 million in all. Even their bosses will be working the holiday. One of the biggest fears was that the banking computer programs only kept track of the last two digits of the year and would recognize the year 2000 as 1900 and wipe out everyone's accounts. I think there's a lot of cynicism today in America because of broken promises. I believe most people expect the best out of elected officials, and when elected officials disappoint them, it creates a cynical environment. Secondly, I believe oftentimes... George W. Bush announced he would be running as the compassionate conservative that next year and would end up being elected our 43rd president of the United States. This is a CBS News special report. Dan Rather reporting from Littleton, Colorado, scene of the Columbine High School carnage. What's happening at the moment, local police, sheriff's office, the district attorney, fire officials and school officials are giving late details on their investigation into what is the deadliest high school massacre in U.S. history. That uh, extended news conference is happening. And the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history at the time, occurred at Columbine High School, resulting in the deaths of 12 students, one teacher, plus 21 others injured. The year was 1999. Jason Brent Meyer 
Jason grew up with his two brothers, Todd and Dustin, also his sister Jenny, and parents Joyce and Jim in Spring Valley, Minnesota. A small community of around 2,500 people located in Fillmore County in southeast Minnesota, about 30 minutes south of Rochester. After graduating from high school there in 1989, he worked various full-time jobs throughout the area, and a few years later, he would marry Sarah Foss in September of 1994 at Deer Creek Lutheran Church in Glenville. Sarah always referred to him as Jay. According to Jason's mom, Joyce, and his wife, Sarah, Jason loved the outdoors. He loved snowmobiling, woodworking, and hunting. He liked doing woodwork. Him and my oldest son would build things together. He liked to hunt. The biggest thing for them and the family was they would all go out hunting and it would always be over Thanksgiving and they would go out early in the morning and then for breakfast they would go to my mom's house and grandma would cook them breakfast and they would sit around because you know you couldn't be out hunting and that when it was daylight you know it had to be dusk or it had to be really early in the morning they'd lay around and watch football and then they'd go out for a little while in the afternoon and then come back and grandma would feed them again <laughs> yeah we had a lot of fun snowmobiling um, golfing going camping um he did it all and so we had a lot of fun. Mark Anderson was a deputy sheriff at the time for Mower County and a mentor and a friend of Jason's, who Jason had met when he was younger in Fillmore County. Jason started doing ride-alongs with Mark, and he was hooked. I was working for Fillmore County at the time, and we got to be, uh, I met him on the streets, him and his brother, and we'd sit and visit back and forth, and then he had an interest in law enforcement. So that must have been, I think, the first that I really knew that Jason wanted to be an officer. Um, he started doing ride-alongs and loved it, and that's all he talked about then after that. I always thought he was kind of a big teddy bear, very uh, big guy, and but he had a heart of gold. While he enjoyed his full-time job as a meat cutter at Buster's Custom Meats, he really loved law enforcement. And his friendship with Mark and his love of helping people led him to enroll at Riverland Community College in Austin to earn his law enforcement degree. His interest in law enforcement also led him to Grand Meadow. Grand Meadow was established in 1862 and is a small, quiet community just 11 miles west of Spring Valley in southeast Minnesota. Back then, it had a population of just under 1,000 people. I would consider this a bedroom town of Rochester. A lot of people from Mayo Clinic work up there, and we're a big farm community. So tight-knit, where if everybody pays rent, we're looking at about 1,300 people. Just a very quiet, nice, but yet busy town. We're active. We've got a lot of traffic and uh, it's bustling. But at the same time, it's a, it's a bedroom town. The police department had a handful of part-time officers and a full-time police chief. Chief James Richardson explained his first impression of Jason when he interviewed there for the job. Jason kind of walked in and kind of turned his shoulders sideways to get through the door and came in and we all just kind of went... 
And at that time, I was uh, just getting off of training for the Olympics, so I was a good 350 pounds myself. And I just remember shaking his hand, and my whole hand disappeared. And I just went, uh, I turned back at the interview board, and I said, well, I think he scored a 10 on officer presence. And then we all, it kind of broke the ice. And then he just, he had a, just a, a warm, funny personality. Yeah, he just, he scored points before he even sat in the chair. But then on top of it, pretty much blew the interview out of the water. Chief Richardson described Jason as a caring person who always wanted to learn and always wanted to do better. He said Jason loved law enforcement and he loved working in Grand Meadow. I mean, he was just a good uh, small town guy and just a community oriented person and that would visit. And he, he had no issues visiting with people and solving it, not just, you know, trying to get done with the call and move on. Every time he had contact with somebody, they just loved him. Jason had now been working his way through college, working his way towards his dream of being a police officer. Jeff Hoffman was a fellow law enforcement student and a friend of Jason's. <laughs> he was so much fun, man. Jason was comical, sarcastic, silly, but took seriously what he needed to take seriously when he needed to take it seriously. He was about 6'5", over 300 pounds. I used to call him a vanilla gorilla. Jason had been a part-time officer for about nine months for Grand Meadow now and had the opportunity to work side-by-side with many of the deputies he had done ride-alongs with and became friends with at the Moore County Sheriff's Office. It was September 6th, 1999. They'd had a warm fall day in southeast Minnesota. Temperatures in the lower 70s that afternoon, and it had cooled down to just under 60 degrees by 11 p.m. It was a beautiful fall evening in Grand Meadow. It was the end of a long Labor Day weekend, and Jason was the patrol officer on duty that day. He was parked at Glenn's Motor Mart in Grand Meadow and was visiting with his wife, Sarah, in the parking lot. I met Jay at the Motor Mart. Um... Because it was Labor Day night, and it was a quiet night. So I, I met him for um, for his supper break or lunch break or whatever. And, yeah, so we were just sitting at the Motor Mart um, with our vehicles next to each other. Grand Meadow is located in the northeast part of Moore County. It's about six miles west of Fillmore County, and it's a very rural area with few county deputies on at night, so it wasn't uncommon for the 911 dispatcher from either Moore County or Fillmore County to request the Grand Meadow officer to assist with backing their deputies on priority calls. In law enforcement, this is referred to as mutual aid. Public safety in these smaller rural areas really watch out for each other. We're in a unique position being on the far east side of the county, it's about 25 to 30 minutes, depending on the weather, to Austin. And at uh, late at night, sometimes uh, Austin gets busy or due to other arrests or warrant issues, uh, a lot of the deputies may be at the LAC or at the jail. And at the same time, it also goes for our neighboring Fillmore County. Their headquarters is in Preston. So there's times where we've had to... Uh, run to Ostrander or we get called aid to run to Stewartville, Racine, Leroy, and it works both ways. And 
for the most part, Grand Meadows is not a full-time police department. We have a full-time officer and several part-time. So we have several times needed uh, the county to come in and help us um, either put a lid on something until someone's on duty or follow up on things. While sitting there talking to Sarah, Moore County Dispatch requested Jason's assistance backing Deputy Mark Anderson, who was responding to a prowler call at a residence north of Racine, which is another small town six miles east and five miles north of Grand Meadow. Jason said goodbye to Sarah and immediately headed in that direction to help Mark. And it's just, uh, it's kind of, we got each other's backs. Uh, and it can be ambulance or fire, uh, but when it comes to police work, it's, uh, yeah, somebody comes out and they're 1033 or they need backup, there's, we'll come from anywhere. I got the call of, uh, it was a prowler north of Racine. Well, then Jason offered to back me up on it. I was en route, you know, it's a prowler. I was driving 6570. Well, then Fillmore County ended up with a chase. So he takes off lights and sirens um, to Racine, and that is my way home. And I thought that he was going to the suspicious persons in Racine. Um, I guess in the meantime, he had gotten diverted to the high speed, and so he went past the 63-16 interchange, and, um, but then he got diverted back. And so then he does a UE on Highway 16-63, does a UE and comes back. And when he comes back, he takes the curve, and when he takes the curve, he loses control. On a four-door vehicle, like the Ford Crown Victoria that Jason was driving, the B-pillar that Mark referred to is the center pillar between the front and the rear door of the vehicle. They were coming west on Highway 16, and he went to assist with that, and then they got him stopped, and then so he turned around, and he uh, come into that curve, and then they lost it on the curve, and then took the telephone pole right in the B-pillar. Jason's squad hit a utility pole on the driver's side, shearing the pole off in the middle. Sarah finished up at the Motor Mart and then headed east on Highway 16 towards Spring Valley to go home, the same direction Jason had gone. So I come in like two to three minutes later, and I see his squad parked on the side. I thought, so I saw a person in the Gray Grand Dam on the curve. I thought that was a suspicious person until that person is running towards the squad. And that's when I said, nobody runs towards the squad. Chief Richardson was off that night. He was home recovering from chemotherapy from cancer treatments when he knew something was wrong even before he got the phone call. I was sitting on the, on the edge of my bed. Uh, I can't remember how many hours I was throwing up. But I, I just sat there. The TV was on and I had a nightlight on. And uh, I was just about to go to bed. And the lights went out for about, oh, 
two minutes and then they came back on. And I literally uh, told my wife something really bad has happened. It stuck me and it stabbed me in my, my went right through my heart, right in my soul. And I just went, no. And Darcy sat up out of bed and she started freaking out. No what? You know, it's like when you know your mom passed away or you you know what I mean? It's just, man, I don't know. And I, she's like, well, what are you talking about? And I go, no, I have something's wrong. Two seconds after that, the phone rings. Dispatch called and said, uh, uh, your officer, Jason Meyer, has been in an accident. Deputy Mark Anderson, concerned that Jason never arrived in Racine to back him up, headed south on 63 and was the first first responder on scene at the crash. I was probably halfway to Grand Meadow, and then we got the call that he had crashed, and uh, he said that he wasn't breathing. Anyway, so then, you know, all of us started heading that way. And I uh, got up there, and I took out my medical bag and applied uh, oxygen to him, and he, he was trapped inside the squad car. Mark continued to provide emergency care and oxygen. He was supporting Jason's head while waiting for help from everyone responding, state patrol, medical, fire and rescue, and Mayo One. The minute the call came in, uh, Trooper Tim Ferdine dispatched the Mayo One right away. And he had said that he didn't even know um, what was going on, but the fact that Jay didn't call himself is why he just did it. He, he knew that he, he just had this feeling that it wasn't good if Jay didn't call himself. Mail One is an emergency medical helicopter. It's dispatched from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester in Olmsted County. The staff, medical equipment, and medications on board Mayo Clinic Ambulance Service helicopters make them mobile emergency departments, or EDs. They're equipped to handle nearly anyone with serious trauma injuries or a critical illness. A helicopter can be in flight within minutes of dispatch, 24 hours a day, every day of the week. Mayo Clinic medical helicopters fly nearly 2,000 flights a year. Several local and area agencies responded to the crash, including Jason's two older brothers, who were first responders. Well, Dustin, my youngest one, was outside. They were having a bonfire, and he heard it, and he knew Jason's number. And he came running in the house, and he said, Mom, I'm going. Jason's been in an accident. I said, Are you sure it's him? And he goes, Yes, I am. So he took off, and he must have called Jenny, my daughter, and said there was an accident. And so Justin and his girlfriend at the time, and they went out to the scene. And then Jenny and I went to St. Mary's because we found out it was him and they were taken in by mail one. At that time, we didn't know he was gone. Chief Richardson also responded to the scene. Pulled up right in, right in behind him. He was at, on the intersection facing north, and his car was perfectly in line, like he had, like he had uh, just completed a traffic stop, and the, other, and the other car just drove away. So it was just kind of like, how oh, I don't 
I don't see it. And then uh, then I noticed the uh, the door was caved in on the driver's side where it impacted the telephone pole. I just I I just can't believe the energy I felt when those lights went out. So that uh, that has always been hard to swallow. I should have been working that night, but uh, you know, cancer took me out of that equation. The Jaws of Life are a hydraulic extrication rescue tool that's used in a number of difficult emergency situations, particularly in car crashes. It's most often used to pull drivers and passengers out of damaged vehicles after severe traffic collisions. The Jaws of Life were used to cut Jason out of his squad car, and he was flown by Mail One to St. Mary's ER in Rochester. Chief Richardson, Several of Jason's family members, other officers, and other first responders also headed towards Rochester. At the hospital, the chief was met by Olmsted County Patrol Sergeant Kevin Torgerson, representing the Olmsted County Sheriff's Office, as well as the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association. So probably one of the shining angels that come down the hallway that uh, really taught me how to, you know, I'm pretty good with humans at any level, you know, dealing with them. But uh, Kevin uh, Torgerson showed up and he like, like, it wasn't one of those, uh, you know, here, a hand on the shoulder is like, pulled me in and got right in my face. I mean, just like, for this is you know like I like to tell my wife and friends it's my campfire so I'll tell my story <laughs> he sucked me right in and he could have been 20 feet away but he sucked me in uh, says we're going to help you we're going we're gonna to take care of this anything you need we, we're right here you can there will not be a corner you will not go around like, there's not help we're going to figure this out. We'll help make arrangements. And just each time kept like pulling off weight, you know, stress, weight, you know. But at the same time, I'm, God, I can't even tell you how much chemo I've been taking and head radiation and just my life's already spinning. Um, and then he kind of like, you know, stuck a pole in the ground and it just allowed me to grab it every once in a while and kind of slow the spin down. The Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association, known as Lima, supports fallen officer families and agencies across the state. Lima is a nonprofit organization run by officers, survivors, and friends of fallen officers who all volunteer their time to help provide assistance with the coordination and facilitation of all aspects of line of duty death funerals. They also provide emergency financial needs of the surviving family as needed, and they meet with them to assist in identifying all federal, state, and local benefits that are available. Lima also conducts an honor guard camp each summer, training honor guard teams from across the country. Sergeant Torgerson, one of their original members, was there to support Jason's family, Chief Richardson, and his agency, whatever the outcome was. Law enforcement, fire, 
EMS, Mail One, and the staff at St. Mary's did everything they could to save Jason. He was pronounced dead at 11.50 p.m. September 6th, 1999. They tried their best. Um, um, we had the best of the best out there. And um, being there, number one, he didn't die alone. And I also knew that he had the best. The best of the best were out there, you know. Um, we had his um, brother-in-law and, and brother who are amazing EMTs, um, EMTs and fire department, you know, because they had to cut him out of the squad. Um, along with um, Mark being the first one there, um, you know, Jay learned learned from him. You know, and they had mail one there immediately. Um, thanks to um, Trooper Tim Perdine who called in it right away. Um, and yeah, everybody was there, and they all did their best. That was kind of a blessing to see, as hard as it was. It was also it was good to see that. Um, he had the best, there's no doubt in my mind. So. We were in there, we had just gotten there, and one of the doctors came out, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, we had to call it, he said, there was just nothing we could do to help him, we couldn't get him back. And I remember that so clearly, I mean, because the doc came out, and he was crying, and, yeah. According to the coroner's report, Jason died from a closed head injury with multiple skull fractures, multiple facial and rib fractures, and internal organ damage. He was 28 years old. Then the family started showing up, and I could hear him in the other room, and I'm just like going, okay, you know, we, this is, we got to, now we got other things we need to focus on, and, uh, I can just remember hearing the family, you know, over and over saying, oh, I want to see him, we want to see him. And I'm going, okay, I need to see him first. We got, I got, you know, I got to do my part. And I was walking in there and the nurse was, uh, um, trying to take his boots off. And I go, no, ma'am, that's going to be my job. And I, uh, went down his boots, cleaned him up, sat him right next to him, cleaned his face up. Um, more than any human would want to know, kind of put everything where it should be. I've uh, got a fresh pillow, put it behind his head, and Tucked him in with a blanket there, so uh, when Ma and everybody come in, they can at least see their boy. <sighs> they see their boy just taking a nap. And uh, I'll tell you this day, Scott, I put my boots on in the morning. I sure, sure as hell want to take them off that night. But if uh, somebody else has got to take them off, it's, hope it's a peacekeeper. 
Jeff Hoffman, Jason's friend from college, got a call from Sarah that next day. The morning I found out was when Sarah had called, uh, but she had told me that uh, he got into an accident last night. And I said, oh my God, is he okay? And she says, he didn't make it. And I asked her what had happened. She told me that he hit a, a utility pole off, uh, off Highway 16 going to help uh, Deputy Anderson on a, on a call. And when Mail 1 flew him to Rochester, he didn't make it. Jeff, who went on to serve his career at the neighboring Dodge County Sheriff's Office, was actually supposed to be doing a ride-along with Jason that night. A request had been submitted, but the chief felt that with Jason being so new, he should wait. It was something that I was that I'd always hoped to do because I thought he would be a tremendous learning experience. And of course, at that time, I'd already done, I think it was, you know, three years into doing countless and thousands of hours of rides you know, all over Mower County area with, you know, the locals and whatnot. But uh, yeah, with Jason, I, I, that was something I was really looking forward to. And and, uh, and I understood he was part-time and, you know, Chiefs got their reasons and that's the way it is. And, you know, I just left it at that. All were thankful in the end that the Chief had said no, that Jeff hadn't been in the squad with Jason that night, as he likely wouldn't have survived it either. Over 300 officers from around the state attended the funeral on Friday, along with over 100 emergency vehicles. The funeral was at the high school in Spring Valley, and the attendance and support really made an impact on everybody. The heaviest impact for me of his funeral was seeing his wife, Sarah, holding his police coat uh, for the entire time. It was... um, it was it was heartbreaking and beautiful, if that makes sense. Um, but just the the fear of how fragile this this vocation for us is, and to know that uh, somebody that close to me was already my my first police related death. Seeing all of the police cars and all of the support from the officers that are around us, and the you know it was just amazing that. Um, there were so many people that came and paid their respects and the professionalism of the officers around us um, and the protection that I guess that we got from Jim Hans, the funeral director. He was, he was, he was one of them that responded to the call. He was uh, on the fire department from Spring Valley and he responded to the call for Jason too. And, he had a really hard time dealing with it, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess just all the people and it's just so overwhelming to, you know, to this day, I can't listen to Amazing Grace. It just, I just can't listen to it without breaking down or the tap or the 21 gun salute or it's just all, it's still so close to home. Just how powerful the love was. Just the overwhelming um, uh, support for everybody. 
um, Jason's family, Sarah, uh, just the support for each other, uh, community support. I think everyone felt very appreciated. And that, in our, I, I know I personally forget what that is in my line of work over the years. Sometimes you just, I want to retire next month, and then all of a sudden I help some kid or family member or change somebody in a way that all of a sudden they got a job and a driver's license and it's like you know what if I wasn't here that wouldn't happen and then all of a sudden I love my job again we gotta get past the negative and uh, start loving each other and um, you know St. Michael he's a pretty cool saint there was Minneapolis um, officers there uh, state patrol Mail one helicopter did a flyover too. It was just very touching to to see this. The outcome, uh, different fire departments, ambulance services also came to show respect too. The support from agencies all over, professionally in the public safety industry, it, it was amazing to see. It was something I always heard about, but I'd never seen it. When you see it, it's a completely different uh, reality and a beautiful one, as much as it is somber. It was, it's just uh, another example of uh, how dangerous our profession can be and uh, how this touched so many people. Jason Meyer was the first officer in Grand Meadow to die in the line of duty and the first one in Moore County in 50 years. He was also a donor, and Jason continued to help others even after his death by donating his cornea, tissue, and bone to help others in need. Jason was buried that following Friday, September 10th, 1999, at the Hamilton Cemetery in rural Racine. September 10th was Jason and Sarah's fifth anniversary. Jason was set to graduate with his law enforcement degree just that following year in 2000. Jeff Hoffman dedicated his diploma at the graduation ceremony to Jason. So on graduation night, I'm seated with a small cavalcade of law enforcement students at Riverside Arena in Austin. And then behind us are graduates of diesel mechanics and truck drivers, and in front of us are cosmetology graduates. And each college program is called up to the stage, and then you get recognized with the diploma. And then when my name was read, I took my diploma and paused briefly while they announced that Jeff was dedicating his degree in the memory of Officer Jason Meyer, who'd been killed in the line of duty in September. And then uh, I think my eyes were watering, and I held my degree high above my head with both hands, and the uh, attendees stood for Jason's memory in that moment and when I returned to my seat burly bearded truck drivers and mechanics and cosmetology students told me it was beautiful and Jason had their enthusiastic support and obviously had mine for law enforcement officers surviving families like Jason's family their sacrifice never ends it's important for us as a society to always honor all fallen officers for their service to our communities and also to recognize their families for their sacrifice. We need to be there to support the families of the fallen always. 
We need to make sure they know the appreciation we have for them, that we'll always be there for them. Officer Jason Meyer is now recognized each year during Police Week at the State Memorial Program in St. Paul by the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association and in Southeast Minnesota each year by the Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota. The foundation is currently raising funds to build the first Southeast Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial in Rochester to honor and remember Jason and over 30 other fallen heroes in Southeast Minnesota. If you're interested in supporting Jason's family and would like to donate to the construction and maintenance of this new memorial, you can find out more information on the foundation's website at www.lawenforcementmemorial.org. Thank you for spending the time to listen, learn about, and honor the memory of this fallen hero. Make sure you take the time to thank your local law enforcement for their service and their sacrifice. And don't forget to thank their families too. They also sacrifice so much for our safety. It's up to us to help ensure the sacrifices made by these fallen heroes and by their families are never forgotten. So please share this podcast with family and friends. Until next time, this is the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I'm Scott Rose. Thanks for listening. A Huda Media Production.